creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to Creative Pep Talk, a weekly podcast companion for your creative journey. I'm Andy J. Pizza. I'm a New York Times bestselling author and illustrator, and I will be your guide on this creative expedition. Let's go. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. Today on the show, it's a conversation with an illustrator and author that I'm a big fan of, Lizzie Stewart from the UK. Lizzie and I both got our start in illustration around the same time. Uh, I was also in the UK when I graduated college, and so we were in similar-ish circles, and I've always been a fan of her work. She has a new book that just was released in the US called Allison. It's a graphic novel about a young artist getting their start in London with a kind of problematic relationship with an older artist, established artist in the old guard kind of um, way. It's really an incredible wrestling with the art world and ego and persona and authenticity and feeling. And it's just really great. It made me emotional and, um, it, and I just blew right through it. It's just, I, I read it super fast too. Had a blast talking with Lizzie. So many cathartic moments and things that inspired my own practice. And I think you're going to really enjoy this and just absolutely love her work. If you don't already know it, Sometimes she sells uh, originals through Instagram stories, so I feel a little bit bad about putting her on this show and making those potentially more expensive and getting priced out because Sophie and I are waiting for the perfect uh, opportunity to buy one. So I guess maybe that's out the window now that you that the cat's out of the bag um, with at least all of you people who listen to this show. If you stay to the end, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take something from the show and give you a prompt to put it to action, a little mind a thought experiment, as some people would call it. And if you get overwhelmed by some of your creative dreams and there's a lot of resistance to them, this is a mind trick to help right-size those problems or even downsize them. 
um, that came from this conversation with Lindsay. So stick around for that. And uh, without further ado, here is illustrator and author Lizzie Stewart. First of all, I just want to say thanks for making time. Like this has been a huge, I think I originally asked you about this like a year ago or something. Yeah, we've had a long run up to this. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm very happy to be Well, thank you. I'm really excited to talk and I absolutely loved your book, Allison. It made me think and it made me tear up and it was just I was just kind of constantly impressed. I think as a creator and as someone who's written a few things now, I'm constantly, if I'm reading a book where I, I really can't feel how did a person create this world? Like that feeling is so uh, impressive to me. And your book just felt like such a real universe and I just loved it so um yeah well done yo thank you so much that's um that's lovely James it's it's really great (laughs) and I think also it's so focused on the art world I think um all the creators listening to this should definitely pick it up because it's (laughs) it's wrestling with a lot of the things a lot of different themes and struggles that artists struggle with that are also just like human things, but it being set up in the art world really made it that much more poignant and painful. So, so thanks for doing <laughs> That's that. That's what we're going for. That, yeah. So it, it's really great. Um, I wanted to go back to when you got started out as an illustrator and mm-hmm. we both got started at a similar time. I think I graduated in 2008 in, in the UK I'm hoping that I wasn't on your radar back then because I was just kind of uh, an idiot in a whole bunch of ways. Um, I'm hoping you don't really remember me from that time. But um, but I I had a similar thing of coming from the Midwest to the UK and to some art circles. And it kind of relates to Allison in the book going from the coast into the city and being intimidated. Was your beginning anything like that? Was that part kind of autobiographical or are you pulling from something else there? Okay. So first things first, I graduated in 2009. I do vaguely remember you, but not in a specific, (laughs) like that guy sort of way. I'm not like, (laughs) um, uh, but I do remember, I I do definitely associate you as being in my I think of it as being in my like internet year group yeah, of like yeah. people who were posting their work online roughly the same time when fewer people were doing it. So it was a bit of a weirder thing to be doing. Um, yep. So there's that. But to go well, that's back good. to like, I mean, I didn't do anything yes. heinous. I was just, <laughs> you know, I don't know if everybody feels that way where you just look back at yourself 15 years ago and be like, oh Lord. Yeah. I hope we can start Mortifying. Yeah. yeah. We're different people now. We've moved on. Yeah. Um, I think I'm probably not this, a different person. That's the most depressing part. I think probably I'm still <laughs> essentially the same. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so Alison, yeah, she moves from the w- southwest coast of England, which is 
also where I grew up, although she is from slightly further up the coast than I am, but we both go from a rural-ish setting, although I grew up in Plymouth, which is like more of a more of a city. And she moves to London and I moved to Edinburgh to study. And I definitely had that feeling of moving from a place that wasn't especially famed for its culture or art to somewhere that suddenly had a lot. Edinburgh is um, a capital city. It's kind of got this history of being cultural, of being a hub for the arts as a fringe festival. So that was like quite a massive change for me to suddenly be like, Mm. oh, I can go and see live music every night. I can go and look at art by artists I've actually heard of. Um, That was all very exciting. But I think because I was going to study, so the difference is that Alice in the character in the book kind of comes to London quite quite naively, I suppose, also Mm. with no particular focus. She has this dubious relationship and someone sort of guiding her decisions. But thankfully, I had slightly more agency in my, in my, <laughs> in my move to Edinburgh was going specifically to study art. But I did feel equal parts inspired and intimidated. And at the time, that was probably more daunting than it is to me now. When I look back, I think the intimidation is as is as useful as the inspiration. The kind of mm. feeling that you're slightly out of your depth it it pushes you and propels you to try things out and to um, test out being the person you kind of imagine you might be able to be. So similar yeah. experiences, but thankfully not the same experience. Yeah, like it sounds like some of the fictional elements just heighten some some real things that maybe you experienced. Yeah. But I like this move from a comfort zone into a place where you're intimidated, but it's also exciting and and fresh. I from the outside, not knowing all of the details, like sometimes when you're watching someone's career on the outside, you're missing a lot of the slow moving pieces. And I know your, I know this isn't your first book, but I wanted to see if part part of the reason I wanted to talk to you that I think is relevant to a lot of creators is it seemed to me that you have over the past few years made a pretty big transition into another new world where you're really placing your half of your creative identity in the writing side. Mm -hmm. And is that as much of a transition as I'm reading it out to be? Like, does that, does that feel real to you? (laughs) Oh my God, it feels too real. (laughs) Um, I I was kind of hoping you would say that because I, that's what it, because I, I feel that personally and I, I really wanted to dig into any illustrator I talk to about like, have you thought about writing something? It's just, those two worlds just feel so, so different. So I'm, gl- I'm glad you said that. I would love yeah. to hear about that transition. Oh my God. So, um, <laughs> so it was a very slow burn for me, like um, thinking about uh, trying to write. I'd always written a bit on the side. I'd love writing at school. 
And then you kind of shelve that because you're drawing, you're being a visual artist, you're a visual thinker, you're everything that you're trying to communicate, particularly when you're at college or at university studying. Like the whole point of what you're doing is to put words into pictures. You're using pictures and not words, no words. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then to to kind of, to have this kind of grubby interest in writing was like, <laughs> oh no, what are they, they're going to throw me out. Yeah. And obviously that's, there's this great history of, of writer, illustrators. There's so many of them, most of the great picture book author illustrators spring to mind people like in the uk raymond briggs judith carr shirley hughes in the us marie sendak like mm. absolute giants who can yeah. do both um but that's very established within pitch books and i'd started out there and done a few of those but to write for adults felt like this insane statement um mm. it felt like all of the all of the regular healthy imposter syndrome stuff <laughs> that's all in there that you get a good dollop of that kind of um people will think i'm getting ideas about my station you know mm. you don't want to be a jack of all trades a master of none you don't want mm. to be yeah i suppose seem to be to be reaching too far when when actually yeah. you should just you know stay in your lane and obviously all that's absolute nonsense and you mm. give whatever you whatever you fancy you should give it a go because you don't know yeah. you don't know until you till you try it, but it has been really like I would sneak year on year I would sneak more and more writing into into my work and then in I guess I wrote a short book that was kind of an essay with illustrations in that came out in 2019 called Walking Distance and that was like me try me sort of officially exposing myself as someone who writes and, <laughs> and people sort of generally were quite nice about it um, and then Fantagraphics published a anthology of my short comics um around uh, kind of a year after that and then it was uh, what i don't i don't know if, if you clocked it but the the that'll be a pandemic um yeah, that yeah. <laughs> meant i was trapped in a very small flat um where we had lockdown after lockdown here in the uk um and it sort of felt like as good a time as any to try out a longer form project um, and it you know I've got these two things that I can maybe do I can maybe write but I would never I feel like at the moment I would never abandon the picture side of yeah. things so um, that was really important that I had a bit of both and I like um, yeah that my brain is currently kind of able to flip between the two a bit and some things work better in words and some as pictures the transition and the being then being in kind of a literary world and being around people who write they all all of their books are words they can't put yeah. any pictures of them i'm like oh <laughs> yeah. this is this is wild i i feel very very exposed very like you know like like you're standing alone in the middle of a field and everyone can see you it mm. feels like that ego maniacal way of putting it like everyone's <laughs> looking at you obviously they're not but um it did yeah it felt like a move and um that's scary I think especially when yeah. your your work like as with you like the work we make we can be so isolated and alone in it mm. happy in our rooms doing our drawings kind of 
to then publicly kind of do this thing for for a bit anti yeah. or yeah it kind of goes against the grain of who i thought i was maybe mm. well i'd love to, i want to camp out here for a second because there's so many things that you said that i want to pull <laughs> at um <laughs> because i i mean i totally relate having uh just authored a couple picture books now um and also I've, you know, with the with the podcast and and public speaking and stuff, kind of pu- stepped into that world in a whole bunch of ways over yeah. the past ten years. But there's so much. Um, I mean, the, I I don't know how you feel, but illustration, it's or making visual art in general, it's so much more of a intuitive thing. Even if you're doing conceptual stuff, it's a lot it's almost more like an illusionist kind of thing where you're, there's a lot going on there. That's intentional, a lot that's unintentional, a lot, you know, whatever. And most of the critique and kind of pushback in my experience, at least happens behind closed doors from other illustrators, just talking crap (laughs) about you or whatever. Like that's kind of the worst that could happen maybe. And they're probably not even doing that. Like that's the ego side of it. Right. But when you step into the writing side, you're instantly thrust into being actually reviewed publicly Mm -hmm. and that, and you can't, and you don't have as much to hide behind in terms of, I mean, images just feel a lot more veiled personally. Yeah. 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 I mean, how, how has that been for you? It seems like, I mean, <laughs> this book is really well received and it's as far as I can tell. And, but was that, what, what were the worries going into this transition? Um, pretty much exactly what you just described. Um, <laughs> it's the main worry. Uh, like, yeah. The yeah. thought of, the thought of people saying big, big, horrible. Uh, which of course they're not. <laughs> Turns out people generally pretty great, um, yeah. <laughs> all nice. And if they're if they're horrible, yeah, they do it behind closed doors, and you never have to know. So yeah. that's good. So no one, if a picture book is bad, no one talks about it. No one yeah. reviews it. No, it would be a kind of monstrous thing to do to write in a newspaper or a magazine like this book for children is worthless and yeah. unless it unless it had, you know committed actual like hate speech or something within a children's yeah. book which is highly unlikely unless it was like morally dubious i don't think anyone yeah. really pays any attention to the bad picture books but they do pay attention to bad adult books yeah. um and yeah that that was daunting the idea of like people tag you in their reviews people and even when they're nice obviously your brain finds the one phrase that's you know sure. a bit even slightly dubious about the book or or the story or whatever and and that's what you'll carry forever that's the one <laughs> phrase that you'll be like no that's the truth the rest of it they didn't mean that and yeah. um, so i don't yeah i don't read the reviews i try not to look on anything like amazon reviews or goodreads reviews i think that way madness lies yeah obviously your publisher and your agent send you nice things that people say about the book and that's kind of been like pre-vetted and that that's pretty helpful but um i don't know how to make sense of that stuff and and because it's not once for me once a book is out 
it's not really my book. I think a lot of authors feel this, that once it's in the public world, the public realm, it's not, you haven't kind of have no claim on it anymore because the way that it's interpreted and that's up to the reader. Um, so you have to let it go a bit and then you start working on new things. So your brain is elsewhere anyway. And I think as long as I'm focused in another direction, I can avoid some of that stuff quite easily. And obviously a lot of the nice feedback does get through to me and I, I'm, I'm really touched by how people have responded to the story and the character and the other characters in the story. Um, but I can't, I kind of can't, I have to shelve it. You have to shelve yeah. it. Regard all feedback, you kind of, you can look at it for a second and then it goes on a shelf and you have to keep walking past that shelf. Just don't, don't go back. Don't, don't, uh, <laughs> don't focus on don't it. Uh, don't, no, because it, if it's good, what you, your, your ego just grows and grows and grows. You assume that you're a genius. If it's bad, <laughs> you become trapped in a place where you can't really escape negativity or you're, you're kind of, um, you feel maybe doomed that you'll never do anything good. Like both, both things are bad. You've just got to, you've just got to ignore it, I think. Yeah. Which is a shame because right. it's really nice when people say nice things. Yeah. I think it's, <laughs> and also, you know, the, the thing about if it's really great, you have the thing of you can build this massive ego or you can think, oh, I was great then and whatever it is, oh, yeah. I'm, I've lost. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, the, yeah. the thing that came to mind, because I think I feel like your articulation of this thing, once I put it out, feels like it's no longer mine. I think that, that a lot of creators feel that way. I definitely, yeah. by the time... By the time I finish the art of something, it feels like, well, that's over. And I it yeah. kind of pulled up a career side question, which I know that I do know that Britain and America are are at least a little bit different in terms of publishing and the art world and the, all kinds of things. But I'm sure there's some similarities where the struggle that I have is that because the promotion really a lot more of the weight, I feel like a lot more of the weight of the promotion falls on the creators these days than it did in the past. And that could just be mm -hmm. fantasizing mm -hmm. about the past, but as talking with other creators, it seems to be the, the feeling that you then mm -hmm. do need to carry this around for quite some time, kind of owning the promotion of it which creatively, like you just described, like there's a lot of baggage in, in kind of yeah. being in that project for that long, or even getting yourself to care past, <laughs> you know, like, cause you're, cause as a creator, you're very much into the, what it does for you to make a thing, you know, like, yeah. so yeah. yeah, I don't, do you, does that resonate with you? Uh, sort of. Yeah. I think, um, I think it is slightly different in the US to the UK from what yeah. I hear, like friends who've had books out in the US. I think it's quite common for authors to have to hire their own publicist to help with promotion stuff. Whereas in the UK, we tend to get with every, every publisher has their marketing department. And, and within that, that you get a PR, you get someone responsible for marketing and you work with them for a couple of months when the book comes out and then 
you sort of get pulled into the publisher's whole marketing and PR yeah. team for everything they publish. So you get less direct attention. But essentially, there is someone there to help you out um, yeah. when the book originally initially comes out, which is nice because it's obviously for, I think, a lot of artists, writers, musicians, all, all, all sorts of creative people. It's counterintuitive for us, I think, a lot of the time to say, yeah, I've done this great thing, guys, and I think you should all buy it. <laughs> um, just feels really unnatural. Um, my approach tends to be kind of apologetic. Uh, like, like, I'm really sorry, I wrote a book. I'm really, oh, you don't have to. Again, I'm really sorry. And it's, it, that's insane. But the, yeah, the process of going back into something you've finished is like stepping back into an old body because you've, you've moved on um, more than likely, potentially by a couple of years. Like a, it takes ages for a book to come out. So you could, it's fully possible that you could be a completely different person creatively two years after you finished that book and then you have to go back and try and remember who you were and what you were thinking and why you made certain decisions and that that definitely can be confusing especially when you're trying to maintain forward motion creatively in your day-to-day life and then every now and again you you kind of get pulled out and go to this book festival and talk about what you were thinking two years ago um and so I've just been doing, mm. because the book came out in the UK in paperback, roughly at the same time as it came out in the US in hardback, um, I've been doing stuff here, which is now, yeah, like three years since I, I wrote this book and, and I'm in the middle of trying to write a new one. So my brain is in that particular swamp and then I have to jump back in this other swamp and I can't quite remember how I get through it and it's quite confusing. I, yeah. it, it's, I suppose like a, an anomaly maybe within this particular, within an artist's career versus other careers that sometimes you have to go back quite far. And like, I can't imagine what it's like for musicians who have to tour albums they released like oh, decades ago. Can you have such a <laughs> No, I can't. I've thought about that a so lot. So cringy. Like singing, singing songs you wrote 30 years ago. I just... Yeah. I cannot imagine. Ima- just if the we monotony had to, like, more than that. Yeah. What if we had to stand on stage and read like comics or zines we wrote when we were 20? <laughs> oh my God. We'd melt. Oh, man. It'd be awful. I mean... It would be awful. It's interesting though. It's kind of like, um, what we talked about at the start where it would force, it would definitely force you to make amends or make peace with your younger self. You'd have to at some, on some level be like, well, this is, this is who I was and where I was, (laughs) which, yeah, that's so bizarre. Um, that one of the things you said that I really relate to there is this idea that you know, as a creator, I, I don't know if everyone feels this way, but for me, I'm really compelled by, there's this like literary critic that I stumbled upon um, named George Steiner, who talks about creativity as like primarily critique, both of like your favorite things and then also your own work. And mm-hmm. I resonate with that in that when I make a new piece there is a way where it's pushing off of or critiquing stuff I've done in the past, like trying to mm-hmm. improve. And I hadn't thought about it through that lens, but that's something that really, really happens to me. By the time 
I'm promoting a book. I'm working on a new book. And my approach to the new book is informed by what I think went wrong with the old book in a way. Yeah. And, and now, so yeah, so you're up there having a panel chat about the book that you made three or four years ago. And yet probably the stuff that's freshest in your mind is the problems with it. But you, you know, yeah, that's a weird conflict that you can't fully <laughs> resolve publicly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's completely right. I've, I definitely relate to that. Uh, yeah. Trying to keep your brain in two different lanes. Um, What's maintaining some degree of professionalism. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Okay, I want to talk about the you. You kind of talked about some of the fears and and difficulties mm-hmm. of making of of making that leap into being a proper writer for grown up people mm-hmm. and, and all of the <laughs> trappings that come, come with that. But I wondered if on a creative level, uh, I'm really curious in the most mechanical aspirational aspects of how you see the drawing practice versus the writing practice and, and what's possible or what you like about it. Like, do you feel like, they're the same thing with a different expression or do you find they have some really core differences that are pros and cons? Like how do you think about these two practices? That's such an interesting question, Alex. It feels like probably the only question in my brain at any given moment is like what (laughs) is the difference between these two things and why one thing and not another for this Mm part of the story, why are you choosing this, why are you leaning on that? I think honestly, the truthful answer is that it's all intuition mm-hmm. in a way that's like not helpful when people ask mm-hmm. for advice, but you're like, that kind of the only real response is like, most of the time you already know. Mm. I already know if something is a write- a piece of writing or a drawing and it's, it's not a conscious knowing, it's just that's what that idea feels like and that's how it comes out. I think that there are like practical moments where I realise that actually that those pages that I've just written could be summed up much more efficiently in a, in a single image and that's always kind of a relief because the drawing is, because I'm, I am still new to writing, I don't definitely don't feel particularly proficient at it just yet. Like the drawing is where I feel safe and I know because, you know, it's been 15 years. Like I know, oh, I can, I can sort of communicate that feeling or if, if I put the character in this setting, that will sort of tell you as much as you need to know about her mood that day or whatever. Um, So that definitely feels more comfortable. In a book like Alison, the drawing itself it's sort of not necessarily how I, I would normally draw things. Some of it was problem solving in that, as I said, I was living in a really tiny little flat. Um, and because it was locked down, we basically, my partner and I had to condense our entire lives into this uh, really, really small flat. And um, mm-hmm. so I was working in the bedroom on a tiny desk that was like pressed against the bed. And I had, I could, I worked out, I could work on a piece of paper that was, 
I can't remember dimensions, but uh, you know, I can, I can work up to this size and then I can still fit my inks and my paint and my pencils and stuff on the desk without making like an absolute mess of everything. So there were like physical limitations that meant that the work had to come out a certain way. And that was, that's kind of useful. Limitation is often placing parameters on things is, is often a, a neat and efficient way of, of getting, getting yourself further yeah. along, along through a project because you've, you're following at least a couple of rules. But yeah, I, it is mostly whatever I feel at any given moment. If I feel like writing, I'll write it. And if I feel like drawing it, I'll draw it. And I have to trust that those instincts are more or less correct. Um, but partly by virtue of the fact that, yeah, I and you, we've been doing it a, a while. Um, we do actually know quite a lot of stuff at this point. If you've stuck with this insane way of making a living, you kind of do have, have some knowledge, even though it feels sometimes like it evades you. I do know that I can make the right decision for making a book readable. And I know that because I've worked on children's books and that is sort of an amazing uh, practice ground for and you know obviously a brilliant worthwhile art form in its own right and mm. um saying that the 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 kids books are a, like a training camp but um they do teach you things about being uh clever with your image making using devices within an image to add extra information that you can't fit into very short text there's, yeah. there's so many skills that you pick up that then when you come to work on a longer form project, you're, you're kind of primed, I think, to, to be, to be able to trust yourself. And it's, yeah. it's maybe the only field realm of my life where I'm like, no, I've got, I've got this, everything else, absolute disaster. But, um, <laughs> but this one thing, I do feel like I, my instincts, I, I trust them more or less. Yeah. And on whichever day it is. Yeah, um, I'll make a color choice, and I'll be like, "What are you thinking? You've you've lost your mind." But uh, <laughs> most of the time, I've I've got I've got this. Yeah, I I love that. I also one way I was thinking about what you said was there's probably a link as well from this is what like I feel like writing this bit, or I feel like drawing this bit there's probably a link or that could be a kind of analog to the person reading it too, where mm -hmm. if you're feeling like, Oh, I think it would be, it feels good and interesting and fun to write this portion. Trusting that is probably going to feed into the reader feeling like, Oh, this is a good change of pace here. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like there's a, there's probably a link there that you can trust in the same way that if you're doing a talk or you're doing a conversation or what, whatever you're doing, if you're in tune with like, Hmm, this part feels like it's dragging and I better, you know, totally take a left turn. That's going to, that's going to manifest in the audience too. Like what you're feeling in the process is probably in some way or another connected to how they're perceiving it. Yeah, totally. You're only ever, well, I feel like I'm only ever working for myself. And I have to assume that I am not actually an extraordinary magical flower who only exists in this one form. And actually a lot of people would enjoy a book that I would enjoy or read the way that I would read. So yeah, yeah. completely right. If I, if I'm 
feeling like, yeah, the next page is going to be a big double spread because that's what I fancy now to break this up. Then I'm probably, I'm probably right. And yeah. Hopefully. And learning that. Yeah. I mean, I, and just learning to, because the opposite of that, I think what happens to, to me and I'm sure lots of other people, when you don't trust that you open up, if you don't just trust the thing of, I feel like the next thing should be a double page spread of this. Like you open up the Pandora's box of 256 other options. And now (laughs) instead of like, yeah, instead of just trusting yourself and being like, yeah, I feel like doing this. Now you've just opened up that can of overthinking where there, there are literally infinite choices about how you could do it. And if you're trying to make the right one versus trying to make the one that feels good, um, it's a slippery slope. Yeah, totally. I think often about my sister was trying on wedding dresses. We went to like fancy wedding dress place so that she could yeah. try on some really fancy dresses so that then we could go to a cheaper place and find a tre- right. cheaper dress. It was a bit <laughs> like a fancy do. one that she'd see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know how this works. So yeah. we were in this fancy dress store and this, uh, the woman who was helping her look at these dresses said, you should only ever be choosing between two things, mm. two, in this instance, dresses. So if you try on three dresses, whittle it down to two, then you're allowed to try on another one. And then you can make your choice again between those three, but get them down to two. And so mm. the idea, yeah, of limiting your own choice. Obviously, in the broadest sense within your life, you don't want to limit your choice too much, or but choice can be paralyzing. So this idea that you're that 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 you should only really be choosing between two things in certain instances would I think t- I totally apply it when I'm teaching. So I teach on a children's book illustration course and sometimes a student will come in and they've done a double spread or an illustration 10 different ways and you have to be like you have to get this down to two and then we can talk i i can't Mm. we can't we can't look at 10 images it's too much you've you've gone too far um yeah so i think about wedding dresses (laughs) which is which is weird um i yeah continue sorry no, no, no. That's the end of my thought. I think I just, I love that. That is so, that's a really powerful thought because, uh, you know, it makes me wonder if <laughs> it instantly puts me into that stupid framework of like, are we in a simulation? Because that very much sounds like binary. Our brain can handle these a zero or a one, which is it? Like, that's all we got. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. truthfully, I think that there's just, there's that, I love this idea of like, get it down to two wedding dresses because, Mm. and because one one thing that happens there that I think is cool is as you're whittling down the 10, you can, you don't have to be precious because you'll, you can be precious about two. And then once you get there, then you can start really being, you know, applying an editor's mind and weighing it up. That I, that's a great trick. Totally. And then like, if you've got, if, if you've got 10 things, you can't make a, a detailed analysis of what is working and not working in each one of those things. Or if you've got 10 dresses, you can't work out, or like the sleeves on that one and the, uh, I don't know, 
whatever else is on wedding dresses. Not a wedding person, weirdly. I don't know why I've clung on to this metaphor. But um, whereas when there's two, it doesn't, if, if you have to sit with it for a couple of days, maybe that's fine, but you're not like creating this fog of stuff. Yeah. You've sort of worked to, even if you started out with 10 images, you're like, if you're always deciding between two of them, like you're making like a fantasy football league or something where you're like separate, pitting them against each other, you will always get mm. down to two. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how, how we got onto this, but um, <laughs> I'm glad it feels relevant and useful. I love and it. Now, I think it's, and now well, it's not just in my brain. It's in yours. Well, too. To, first of all, it's funny that there's two artists and our, our analogies are wedding dresses and fantasy football, but that's fine. <laughs> that's, that's totally fine. Um, we'll just set that on the shelf, but that's, that's great. Um, but I, the reason I think it's so relevant is, you know, I've been doing this show for nine years or whatever it is. And I, the thing, one of the things that comes up over and over and over in my own practice and the other practice of other people I chat with is just the idea that if your brain is kind of naturally a divergent thinker, you're going to get into this scenario where you're incredible at thinking up new options, which is great, mm -hmm. and maybe not so good at choosing them. And so yeah. that little trick that you shared, I think, is a is a potential uh, framework for m sorting through the billions of options that that yeah. creators cook up for themselves. It comes up a lot when I'm going through, like when you you know when you play with Photoshop filters, and then you're yeah, like, oh oh no, it kind of looks good like this, but it also looks good like this, but it looks kind of weird like this, and yeah, yeah you can you can lose your mind there, so. Wedding dress yeah. theory. That's where you, so that's Photoshop. Where just give us two filters. That's the takeaway. Good <laughs> lord, we exactly. can't handle these fifteen. Um, we can't. We can't cope with this. We are yeah. children. We are that's children. Right. We're yeah. children making pictures. Um, the, no, I love that. I think that that's really useful. And I also love the thing you said about being stuck in a, a little room with a little desk. And I, I think I, I also think that one of the game-changing mindsets that you see in creators that really get to a place where they're publishing books and stuff like that is that shift from this desk is too little, therefore it's an obstacle to me doing what I want, to this desk is so little, it's an opportunity to work differently. And you might have not felt like that at the time, <laughs> but looking back, but you did it anyway, right? Yeah. You did it anyway. Um, and and now it's it's contributed to the style of that book. And that's not that's no small thing because like we said, like it made a bunch of choices for you. It took a bunch of yeah. those options off the table, no pun intended, but yeah, that, that's cool. <laughs> Because yeah. a lot of creators will get in that scenario where they're like, I just can't make the book right now because my desk is too small. And I've been yeah. there a hundred times. It's easy to get those yeah. obstacles in your way of why you can't do the thing you want to do. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you have to sort of bash through that um, in a slightly pig-headed way. I'm just like, I have to just make it happen. Otherwise, it will never happen. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely get panicked about things not exi only existing in my brain so I better better make it happen even if it means working 
in the corner of my bedroom. Yeah. I like, I like that too. That's a good distinction as well because, um, so many un- unfinished projects in my head and so many, um, different ideas vying for attention. And I do think, uh, the ones that end up happening are the ones that you're like, look, I'll do it on a, I'll, I'll do this in a, in a box. I'll do this in any scenario. I'm gonna, you know, it doesn't matter. I have to do this because I just have yeah. to get it out of my head. Um, yeah, I, I totally I need the storage space. <laughs> yeah. Levels, I need to so close yeah. some of these yeah, damn tabs. Yeah, There's exactly. too many tabs and this is one that's just crushing my hard drive right now. Um, I, I totally, I totally feel like that. I want to, I want to switch and make sure we talk a little bit about the book because, um, mainly just cause I want to, I, I always, <laughs> I've longed for hearing, uh, you know, talking about writing and those kind of this decisions, um, in terms of just the artistry and what you're saying. And I, and I respect that, uh, different creators want to have a levels of mystery or, you know, don't want to put language around it. That's mm-hmm. fine. You know, just navigate that however you would like. Um, but, uh, but I wanted to talk about the, like the animating questions, uh, that, that were pushing you through this book. For me, mm-hmm. one of the themes that really is relevant to creators and is something that really stood out for me in the book was there seems to be like this, a battle between how art can be about authentic feeling. And Mm -hmm. for some people, art is really about persona posturing and, and appearing clever and and thinking Mm -hmm. like the thinking versus the feeling, um, or authenticity versus art as like a mask Art as like, I'm going to show this to the world. Um, were those, were those themes like, top of mind for you or were there other things kind of working through the writing? I think, um, I think you're right. There's definitely, uh, definitely sort of thinking about two different ways of making art. And I suppose one way is about the establishment and particularly in Britain, there's, we've got the Royal Academy here, which is where the great venerated artists are kind of collected under, under the, uh, title of the Academy and, mm. uh, not knocking them that it's where like there's so many brilliant artists in sure. as, who are royal academicians now um but there's there's a we've got a historic established idea of the art world and then there's everything that happens outside of it and sometimes that's kind of a bit shit i suppose there's some awful <laughs> art but there's also some great <laughs> art that doesn't fall under under that um kind of auspicious uh title um so there was that but i i think my main question with regards to the art was like who gets to make art and Mm. why and so we're following allison in london in the late 70s early 80s she's from what we would call a like a working class background here would have limited her exposure to art but also her options for exploring the art world 
without a guide. And so she ends up with this established artist, Patrick, who is sort of like the old guard. He's very much the academy. He's he's yeah. a great painter. He's recognized. He's lauded. He's, you know, people will probably writing essays about his work. He's a clever painter. He's a, you know, he's the real thing. But um, his view of what art is, is limited. He doesn't necessarily take Alison's work seriously, although he encourages her. He's a bit patronizing. And she has a friend, Tessa, who's um, a young black artist, living also living in London in the 70s and 80s. So her life would have been different again than Alison's. There'd be different limitations there placed upon her And they would be people who would traditionally maybe not get invited in to the world of of fine art, but they want to do it anyway. And how would they, I was trying to think about how they would do it and, and what that might look like in terms of their personal lives, but also on a broader societal level, like was, was, would it have been possible to do it? And I think it it was, and the artists were making great work at that point outside of the great white men who were hogging all the attention um i was also thinking about like the role of the the muse which is like gross this this disgusting (laughs) idea that a woman just sort of exists in a inspiration role she sort of floats around and whispers ideas in someone's ear but she never gets credit for it she never gets Mm. her own story she's always you know there's all these women who are placed in the biographies of great male artists, but they never, we never hear their, about their art. Often it's mentioned, you know, so-and-so was muse to this artist. She was also a photographer, but you don't get to know about her work. So I was sort of imagining a story for one of those women. But yeah, I think who gets to make art is maybe a driving question for me all the time. Like who who is given this luxury? Because it is a luxury. It's such a incredible thing to, be able to do to it's a it's a gift for your life to be able to make statements to reflect the world back to I suppose get your voice some a physical manifestation of your voice that might outlast you what like Mm. what an amazing thing to have and to be able to do but for a long time it was just a very select section of society that was offered that opportunity yeah which is which is pretty pretty awful Um, And it is changing, but probably not quick enough. Um, Yeah. And then there was obviously other questions of slightly Me Too kind of movement stuff was happening. Um, Stuff about class in the UK, stuff about, I suppose, friendship is really important within the the story. Um, Mm. But yeah, that's that's maybe it. Yeah. I, okay. I love, all right. So many bits that I want, that, that I want to talk about. Um, I, I like that last thing you said about friendship too. I feel like friendship is having a bit of a moment in that. And I felt that in the book, like the elevation of a, a platonic, really close yeah. friendship as an archetypal thing that need needs its place in society in the same way that romantic relationships or family relationships. I think we, we, we kind of hierarchy that out um, towards the mm-hmm. bottom. And I think there, uh, I thought that was really cool, but I, I wanted to circle back to the thing you said about the muse, which 
I mean, I loved that bit in the book where they're talking about Allison feeling obligated to make Patrick's work interesting. Like, what a what a mind job. That's such a that's a, and I as I was reading, I thought, man, I never and like in her leaving making his work less interesting and all of the, all of that is just i thought man that's some that's great i'm just telling you as the creator <laughs> i don't know if my opinion means anything but i just thought when i was reading it i was like man and and some some of the times when i do these chats i try to be really granular because i think as artists we don't get much of that of like mm -hmm. this is what it, the experience of reading it was like and i remember mm. really pausing at that and just being like man there's a lot of stuff and then the way you said it just now of i never thought about and maybe this is just my own blind spot but i never i never thought about the women in these artists lives as the metaphorical muse and it kind of puts a whole and and I don't you know I'm not like I'm not talking trash about anybody that uses that word particularly but I have mm -hmm. noticed my own recoiling at that <laughs> idea but without words to say it and I think it's a lot about kind of what you're saying is when when people talk about creativity I I think creativity's mystical and magical and I it's one of the reasons I love it but whenever but even on the show I really really try to avoid any kind of talk like that even though it's deep within me because it seems like often a way of covering up something like yeah. and I'd never thought about the muse that way of like I'll talk about it in this very fanciful way about where the idea came from, but the idea just came from your friend or the, you know, that was, or your <laughs> lover or whatever, you know, like, oh yeah, man, that's just, it's a tricky me. word. I think yeah. there's like, I think our relationship to, us, to it has certainly changed in the last 20, 20 years or so as, as society reckons with the many difficult and unpleasant things that have happened in the yeah. art world and in many other realms over in in the past um and i i don't necessarily condemn the idea of the muse as such but it's definitely like it's it's the it's removing someone's identity and placing them only in the context of this other greater more famous person i remember mm. being like learning that dora ma was a photographer and not just someone that picasso painted and mm. you know had a romantic relationship with and that came so much later than the the point at which i learned the name dora mar like i knew who she was but i knew nothing of her work and i'm not like i i've always loved art i was always reading about art i was looking at the work of artists growing up so it, it's kind of mad to me that as someone in my mid-30s that information came to me maybe in my late mid late 20s um, yeah. Although I'd known who Dora Maar was for maybe a decade before that, I'd seen paintings of her, and and that, that yeah, that's that's where I get the ick. I suppose that's the bit where I'm like, yeah. oh, this is not helping us. We're we're kind of closing off stories um, by placing them in this narrative that is like woefully out of date. Um, 
And isn't it, wouldn't it be nice if, yeah, as you're saying, like, we just acknowledge that, oh yeah, that idea was kind of inspired by this magical relationship that this person had, but with another person who also did stuff, was also, you know, a fully 3D person. Which, you know, maybe that, and that makes tons of sense, like, maybe the reason they were such a muse was they were inspired by that person, like... Yeah, they, you know, by they their were 3D dimensional. Yeah. 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 Like that's the thing yeah. they're trying to capture in that. Yeah. I mean, it's so like, I'm sure like a, a beautiful person is a beautiful person that can be pleasant to draw. But the idea of like making great work based on beauty alone, surely, surely there was some other stuff going on. Um, anyway. Yeah, that's I, I love that idea. I, and I also, I mean, it makes tons of sense where any painting that is tr- like truly striking of a figure, you are, you know, if you just think of the most classic example of Mona Lisa, everyone's trying to figure yeah. out like, what what are they smiling about? What's how, you know, whatever that is, it is the thing that's yeah. behind the thing. And so I could see yeah. like, you know, if you meet someone who's an incredible photographer and they see the world in this interesting way and when you're painting that, that maybe that's what's so great about the painting is you're trying to capture this, you know, mysterious, inspiring quality. And I, yeah, I, that's really, um, that's interesting. Um, what did this book, making this book do for you as a person? Like, did it, uh, you know, for me, like a lot of the bigger projects, if I think of this podcast or different picture books or whatever, mm-hmm. I can like, look back and see, oh, this is part of what I was wrestling with and using the art to wrestle with, or this is my personal takeaway from making that book. Did, does anything spring to mind for working on Allison? Um, I think for me, it was like the, I suppose it's a declarative moment of like, I'm doing, I'm doing this. And Mm. I think it, as we talked about earlier, it took a really long time to feel confident enough to do that, to feel ready to do that. So definitely the, yeah, the, the idea that I had been, like I'd wanted to make, I think of it as being like a picture book for adults, um, rather maybe rather than a graphic novel, because it's got a lot of text in it kind of doesn't work in the way of a traditional graphic novel, maybe. Um, although other graphic novelists do similar things structurally, I think, but it, it did feel like the culmination of a thing that I knew, I knew I'd been working towards for 10 years and I was just sort of biding my time and figuring out when I'd be ready and when I'd be brave enough. And when I had enough, uh, ingredients to make it happen. Um, so that I feel like just kind of inordinately proud of, and it's very rare that I allow myself to feel proud of anything that I do. You know, you're always moving on to the next thing, but I do feel like I did the thing more or less that I wanted to do. Sure, there's plenty that I change about it now, but essentially I did what I wanted. And that's actually as much as other things that I learned about, you know, boring stuff like design and how to put together an InDesign document for a book that's over 100 pages long, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. <laughs> All of that boring stuff, I think just learning to be kind of, kind of content and proud of what you do was that was a really big lesson for me I think and something that I have to remind myself like no you're pleased with that and you continue to be pleased with that so that 
that's kind of mm. like for me quite a big a big moment um yeah and it also showed me i could i could stick something out that was that was longer than i'd ever worked on before um so that promising because i need to do it again now it's pretty glad i <laughs> glad i know i can do it even if it gets difficult I just wrote down picture book for adults with three exclamation points because whenever I, <laughs> whenever I do these conversations, they're usually driven selfishly by, I want to talk to this person because I feel like I have something to learn from them or, wh- or whatever. And there's plenty of stuff in here that's really inspiring to me. But that particular bit, I'm like, that is, I needed that. I needed to think like that because I've never... I like graphic novels. I like comics, but I've never felt like that, whatever that is. Um, yeah. But that as a prompt, a pi- the picture book for adults framework yeah. model just I yeah. made my mind catch on fire. Well, uh, that's it's great. all it's yeah, it's all just te- I mean, whatever label you put on it, it's, you, it's easy to think of it as a technicality. But I think when you've like like we've trained as illustrators, we have this idea of ourselves maybe that is useful in some capacity to think of ourselves in a certain way um and for me yeah a picture book for adults makes so much more sense because i love picture books and i i know the feeling of reading a picture book i know the the purpose the illustrations serve and i can respond to that so much better creatively than i if i think i didn't grow up reading comics in the same way that other artists might have done i don't feel that like historic connection to that medium um so this is a way this is my way in and i think yeah the more people who want to make pitch books for adults the better i think um, <laughs> yeah, so do it go for it oh, i love it and i and i also love that like uh fifty thousand foot view of that's really it what it is is just so much of making progress as a creator feels like just how are you going to trick yourself into doing this? Mm. Like, how, how can you, what, how can we frame this, buddy, so that you can be okay getting through this marathon? Um, that, uh, yeah, absolutely true. Oh, uh, I had uh, one other question, um, and, let, and if you want to respond to that or in any way, feel free to. Um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, but the, if the, the last question I have is um, when, you were talking about feeling proud of this book. This is kind of linked to that. You know, what, what is it in the book? I think for me, there's a lot of things as I've gone that I'm like, these are the things that don't matter to me. They don't have to be perfect. I'm not, that isn't going to register on me feeling proud of this thing. And then there are things where I'm like, like you said, these are the things I'm trying to do. And if I, and if I, if I do those things, I can be proud of it. And so that mixed with this other way of thinking about the same thing. What, is there something about this book that you're particularly proud of that maybe you haven't been asked about or haven't been able to find space to talk about? Oh, Oh, I don't know. Um, 
I've been asked a lot of weird questions about this book, so I feel like I've covered a lot of ground. But yeah, um, I think a thing that I am I am personally privately delighted by, maybe nobody else particularly cares about, but a thing that meant something to me was to make a book about an artist who wasn't brilliant Ooh. and certainly isn't brilliant from the start. But even at the end, at the end of the book, we're not we're not in a place where like she's the greatest living artist. She's not super famous. She's kind of doing fine. Um but you read yeah. I like uh, you read novels, you read books about artists, you watch films about artists, and they're always extraordinary. These like absolutely um bizarre characters or outlandish kind of dressed extravagantly or um with these wild personality traits that you're just like oh that person would be unbearable and they're like <laughs> you know preternaturally gifted from day one and they you know yeah. you see them as a child making photo real drawings of their toys or whatever and you're just like this is mad because this is not my experience i am an artist my friends are artists and whilst i think of them as being extraordinarily gifted and talented and an incredible makers of work. Um, I don't think any of us would relate to those stories. For for a lot of us, being an artist is about patience and about trusting ourselves and feeling out an idea over months or years or decades um, in the hope that we might communicate it the way that we want to. And And so... That was true of this book. This is kind of uh, a, an idea, the adult picture book um, that I'd thought about for years. The specific story, but the the idea of this kind of book had been had been in my head for a long time. But also, yeah, that to present the career of an artist as being an act of patience, maybe a feat of endurance, um, but ultimately something kind of ordinary. Um, and kind of attainable felt yeah feels like something that i am pleased with that maybe rarely comes up directly i think when we're talking about it lots of people want to talk about patrick and the terrible relationship but um it's kind of yeah. not the most interesting part of the book for me but uh, yeah that would be it i didn't even see that and i love that so much an ongoing theme in this show has been a personal frustration that I've had where, you know, I've said it a bunch of times on the show, like all the biopics and all the magazine articles and all that kind of thing. If we, if we moved it, if we move those stories into the business world, it would literally be as if all of the movies and all of the, articles and all the books were written about lottery winners, literal lottery <laughs> yeah, winners, yeah, yeah. you know, and it, and it, and it sucks because it's so unhelpful to what the, just like what you said, the discipline and the endurance and the, you know, finding your way as most creators have to do. It's the exception yeah. the, almost all the narratives are the exception to the rule. Yeah, completely. Um, you're right. Yeah, it's lottery winners and people that have been gifted 
an extraordinary amount of talent um, and potentially privilege and uh, good fortune. And actually, most of us who are also good artists aren't simultaneously the absolute best at drawing or the absolute best at singing or dancing, or whatever. We're just we're just working. Um, yeah, yeah. I love and that. We're we're babies who <laughs> need. All of the all of the choice taken away from us. That too. <laughs> yeah, uh, that is so true. And uh, oh man, I, I I love that. I hadn't even thought about it through that lens, but it's a even more reason for creators listening to read it. I think it'll be a a cathartic read in a whole bunch of ways. And it's just a and it's just a great a, a great story that I found really thoughtful and moving. And um, yeah, well done. I, I thought it was just great. Yeah. So th- thanks for coming on here and chatting about it. Thanks so much. It's been an absolute joy to talk to you. What a treat. Thank you. Okay, this is me back with a creative call to adventure, a way to put some of this stuff from this episode into action. And we're calling this one Redefine Your Mountain. And the whole idea here is to take something like making a graphic novel and you're like, okay, this thing is so overwhelming. I was real, I kept thinking about Lizzie saying that. Her graphic novel was really a picture book for adults. That was really inspiring to me because I have thought about making a graphic novel out of different stories from time to time, but ultimately kind of felt like that's not really me in the same way that Lizzie was describing. And yet I've made a bunch of picture books and I instantly felt like a graphic novel became more achievable just by redefining that mountain as a really big hill. And I've climbed lots of hills, so this is just a little bit bigger of a hill. And so I think it's also kind of comparable to how you could take a bat and be like, it's just a mouse with wings. Like, how can you rethink the things that you want to do? I recently heard Stephen Pressfield, I think it was on the Rich Roll podcast, I just saw a clip on the internet, And he was talking about how the bigger your creative dream and the more important it is to you, the bigger shadow that it casts. And that shadow is the resistance that we feel, the pushback, the thing that's trying to get us not to do it. And if you can downsize it and kind of um, mock that giant dream and be like, you're not a mountain, you're just a really big hill, it may give you the courage to jump in. And this isn't just a hypothetical One of the big shifts for me in my creative practice has been realizing that when you're going to record a podcast, especially if it's a solo episode, it can feel very intimidating like you are trying to record a a weekly 30-minute to an hour-long audiobook. But it wasn't until I realized like, okay, audiobooks are to books 
what podcasts are to blogs. And I redefined podcast as an audio blog, and it just totally changed my perspective about what this is supposed to be. And it's really true. Like, you don't need an audio book every single week. You need an audio blog. You need something a little bit more passive, a little bit lighter, a little bit you know, more instant. Like that's part of why you might reach for a podcast rather than reaching for an audiobook. It's a little easier on the ears and mind so that you can get about your day doing whatever it is you need to do. But that little redefinition of that mountain made it so much easier to climb. So how could you take those things that you really, really want to do that really, really scare you And not just say, what would it look like if it were easy, which we've talked about on this show through the lens of, um, that's, that comes from Tim Ferriss, always asking, what would this look like if it were easy, but also what would this look like if I redefined it, if I didn't glamorize it or put it on a pedestal by giving it a fancy name? What if I didn't think of it like, this is my album, I got to make an album and instead just be like, here's a collection of songs. Like, are there any ways that you need to de-romanticize what you do? Whether it's, maybe it's YouTube, maybe it's TikTok, maybe it's your Instagram. Like what, like people get so precious and that preciousness, I really think that comes from the part of your brain that is not your creative side because it comes from a critical eye. And I think if there's ways that you can de-romanticize what you do, make that mountain into a really big hill, you might be able to climb it. Creative Pep Talk is your weekly podcast companion for your creative journey. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. I'm a New York Times bestselling picture bookmaker and illustrator for clients like Apple and Xbox. I pep talk teams at creative hubs like Warby Parker and Sesame Street. And I make this podcast because as someone with ADHD, it takes a whole lot of creativity just to get out of bed in the morning, let alone attempting to try to create a thriving creative practice. This show is just me sharing the things that seem to be helping me in case it helps anybody else. Shout out to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music and soundtrack. Huge thanks to Connor Jones of Pinning Beautiful for sound design and editing the show. Massive thanks to Katie Chandler, Ryan Appleton, and Sophie Miller for podcast assistance of all kinds. And thanks to you for listening. Until we speak again, stay pepped up.